I went in to talk to my bishop. He basically told me that being gay was like um, an alcohol addiction and um, that I just needed to pour my heart and soul into being an active member and give myself to God and he would make things all right. Hey heathens, I'm Kendra and this is Culture Shock where we explore the intersections of trauma, humor, and healing. I cover true crime stories, interview survivors, and give all of us a space to share what it's like to leave toxic families, religious cults, and other high control, high demand groups. And with that, buckle up as we find ways to metabolize the pain and the trauma together. Hey heathens, welcome to Culture Shock. Today we have a very unique guest with a very interesting story. And I'm excited to get into it today and learn more about Mikkel and her journey growing up Mormon and then since she's been out of that. So welcome, Mikkel. I'm so glad you decided to contact me and join the heathen family today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I had to say, like, when you emailed me your story, what you emailed me initially was pretty brief, but immediately... <laughs> I was like, I, you know what? I appreciate someone who gets right to the point. And that's how I, I love that. But um, it resonated on, on a couple different levels. <clears throat> but I hadn't, I've not really seen the components of your particular story, um, like on other podcasts or other things, specifically the top three things you told me in that first email, ex-Mormon, gay and you left at 38 and so I was like I'm in let's you know <laughs> like I want to hear this story really bad so for those who didn't get that email um Mikhail maybe you can dive into a little bit and just share some more of your story of leaving the Mormon church at the age of 38 with three children um and all of this happened right after you came out to your family or came out publicly yeah so I I grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormonism, um, born and raised that way. And, uh, you know, my dad was in the military as well, so there was just ultra strict. Um, you never questioned anything that dad said or did. And so when I was probably 11 or 12, um, I had a crush on one of my friends and didn't really have the language to describe what that meant or or what I was experiencing, I just knew that it was bad. And so, you know, as a, as a, you just learn to stuff. And so, and check all the boxes. Like that was my goal. I have to be as good as possible. I have to meet, um, you know, all these expectations that I had from my family, but the religion as well. And so when, when I was, when I graduated high school, the expectation for most Mormon women is to get married and have babies and so in an effort. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So I got married at 19, got married at 19 to pretty much the first boy who ever really paid attention to me. And I think having some distance being in college away from my family helped influence that too, because when I was at home, um, dating was prohibited. Like I wasn't allowed to talk to boys or have friends over. And so, you know, I'm, I'm out at college. Here's this young man who is paying attention to me. He's also Mormon. He comes from a good family. Um, he's in college. So he checked all the boxes and we ended up getting married. 
Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it. So I'm, I'm not super familiar with kind of the, the fabric of Mormon beliefs or Latter-day Saints beliefs. Can you maybe get into a little bit? What are, what are the typical expectations as far as, or the rules around having feelings for a friend of the same gender or dating if you weren't allowed to date until you were away at college can you explain maybe what the expectation is for those things so same-sex attraction is considered a sin and um when i was growing up even having the attraction was not okay so you it, it was strongly encouraged that if you had those feelings you had to repent um you had to to do everything possible to get rid of those feelings and you were, it wasn't overtly talked about, but it was subtle cues of you can't be that. And so don't, don't explore, don't, don't even think about it. You know, you, you are strongly encouraged to marry the opposite sex and have families because the belief is that, um, you can, you can only enter heaven if you are married to someone of the opposite sex in the temple um and so that's that's what i you married someone say you married a man who was not mormon or say was mormon but you didn't have a temple wedding then you're denied entrance into heaven for just that yes that feels like an impossible expectation yes uh on for life but even just specifically about marriage yeah Um, Right. And so with dating, if you weren't allowed to date, then do they do the parents uh, pick? Essentially, I don't want to say arranged marriage, but like, do they kind of decide who they accept as your future spouse or or how does that work? Again, it's it's kind of subtle. Um, You're you're not parents don't necessarily pick your spouse, but you're strongly encouraged to marry someone of the same like with the same standards as you. And in Mormonism, my family was a little different because my dad just forbade dating in general. But you're in Mormonism, you're generally not allowed to date until you're 16. Um, so they strongly encourage you to not date until you're 16. And then, you know, there's there's that kind of religious um, overarching theme of no sex, you know, don't, you don't want to kiss, you don't want to do anything that's going to arouse any type of physical attraction because those are sins. So all, it sounds like everything's a sin. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty much. I mean, like, like that's, that's a lot of pressure for kids too. And I'm, that's a lot how I was raised too. I wasn't allowed to date anything like that either. So I, I get it from that level for sure. Um, I don't know that we're denied entrance from heaven. So there is like some differences there, but wow. So um nothing physical for sure and then nothing right with the no even thoughts about the opposite sex um right. and i know we were taught always growing up you just what they say pray the gay away right so yeah it sounds like you you so you weren't successful in that or what <laughs> so i was i was successful to a point i mean i i got married at 19 um my my ex-husband is an awesome guy he's a great dad to our kids and we still have a really good relationship that's great um and, and kind of like what happened for me was I couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy when I should have on paper been happy. Mm-hmm. I I experienced long-standing depression 
anxiety um, wasn't, I never really felt connected to, to my then husband in an emotional, like intimate way. Obviously we, we had four kids together. So, um, but through, through and that's like an explanation as well. Right. It's not, it, right. it's less to do about desire and want to, and more about right. expectation. That makes sense. Right. Um, and so there were these things that, that happened through my twenties and thirties. And there's a term in ex-Mormonism where if you can't make sense of something, you just put it on the shelf. You just like tuck it away and, and maybe someday it'll make sense. Like it'll be explained in heaven, you know? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And so there were, there were these That's things not for us these, to know. Right. 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 Yeah. So there was these experiences and these doctrines and things that happened in my life that I just kept putting on the shelf. And, um, in my thirties, I spent a lot of money on life coaching and programs to try and fix my, my mental health and improve my life. And in one of those coaching programs, I met a gay couple and it was my real first interaction with a gay person and seeing their loving, connected relationship just i started asking myself questions like why don't i have that with my husband um you know and it just really started exploring my feelings in general and it was through that that process over a couple of years that i like allowing myself to have those questions whereas before i would have just shoved them away right and noticing little things that had happened through my life that I just put on the shelf, um, really digging into those when I was trying to remember, it was 2017 that I, like my world came crashing down, like the shelf broke basically. Wow. So what happened in that year? Um, there were some things that were happening at church. What I started noticing was that if I would go to church, I would leave feeling worse. I felt more condemned. I felt more like I'm never going to be enough. Um, I'm, these are impossible standards. So my depression seemed to get worse. And kind of in that time, I was talking to my friend the, that's gay and um, just hearing her story and how it felt similar to my story and hearing her coming out journey. Um, I, I finally just like accepted that I was more attracted to women than I ever was to men. And kind of in that process too, I was going to the gym all the time. That was kind of my escape. And, and I developed a crush on my gym instructor who was female and I found out she was lesbian. And when I, when I like sat with that, um, that's kind of when the world came crashing down. I was like, I can't, I can't live this way anymore. Yeah. It's like, you can't unknow what you know at that point right. or what you've, I was going to say you unshelved yourself. Um, yeah. I took things back off the shelf. And so was there, do you remember, was there like a pivotal moment or was this kind of like, all these little thoughts and and beliefs that you had been kind of dismantling or like did that all just come to a head in one particular moment 
Not necessarily. I think the, one of the most pivotal things was allowing myself to accept the feelings that I had um, for women. And um, I, 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 I remember distinctly calling my friend, her name is Jen. And I'm like, Jen, I, I took a quiz online. And she's like, Mikkel, if you are Googling and taking That's quizzes about- That's a good indication. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think one of- yeah, go ahead. No, please. And, and then one of the other kind of pivotal things was like this realization of, okay, if this is really who I am, then I probably should talk to my then husband about things and even just share that, which was yeah. really tough to do. But when I when I finally did, he, he said to me, yeah, I kind of wondered, but I didn't ever know how to say anything. And so did you feel safe to bring that up to him? I can't even like I I cannot imagine being, you know, married and having four kids like you said you did. And then that's a very vulnerable conversation, like terrifying conversation to have anyway with a loved one, especially so deeply involved in a religion like you guys were. Um, but I don't know your relationship and it sounds like he's fantastic. So how 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 was that? It obviously was hard. He, he, we, we deeply cared about each other. Um, we, we'd been together for 19 years before, um, I came out and, you know, our oldest was 18 and on down, um, our youngest was eight at that time. And it, not only the complexity of the relationship, but also the complexity of, of what that meant within the religion. And so the, the, kind of core tenets, one of the core tenets of the Mormonism faith is that when you get married in the temple and you start having children, that family bond stays with you through the eternities. And if you do anything to break your temple promises and you aren't living the religion, then the belief is that you lose that bond. And so I like it was devastating to consider that if I, if I live my authentic self, how do I reconcile the belief that I am losing everything? It was hard. It was so hard. That it, it's like removing part of yourself or losing a huge chunk of, not just your identity, but it, I, I imagine it felt like like losing your family, like the ties to your eternally losing that to your children. Wow. And so at this time you were still, and I don't, I assume, well, you, yes, you said you left Mormonism as a whole, but at the time you were still very, were you deeply into the beliefs, but also having this conflicting realization. And so it's like an internal war, I imagine. So it was. What, what happened from there, from that conversation with him? So it, it, I, I had to like, it was like a life or death situation. That's how it felt to me. Like either I live authentic to myself or I die because I can't keep living the way that I have been. I I feel like, like how I kind of rationalized it, I guess, or made, made sense of it to myself was I had tried for 19 years of being married to be so deeply in, like I, I, we prayed 
every morning and night as a family. We we prayed over our food every time we ate. I we went to church service three hours every Sunday. I was involved in the youth program. So I was an instructor for the youth program, which meant there was a midnight activity that I had to be a part of every week. Uh, we were reading our scriptures together as a family. We had a family night once a week. I was going to the temple every week. Like I was doing all of the things that the church required of me. And I felt so depressed and so miserable. And I had done that for my whole life. And I knew that if I continued, I wasn't going to feel any better. And so I made the choice to live authentic to me, which also meant the possibility of of losing everything that I had. Um, but it also felt like a huge sense of relief to be able to make that decision. Like, I'm going to make this decision for my, for myself and possibly lose everything that I've ever cared about. But why not? Yeah. That internal pull is was stronger. I love that. Um, I mean, that's a terrible situation to be in, but I love that you were just so pulled in the direction of, like you said, your authentic self. It was like, I'm going to, I'm probably going to die anyway. So right. how can it get worse than already dying? So choosing, yeah, how's choosing myself, you know, so... That's really interesting. So what, what happened then? So kind of in that process, like when I, when I was accepting the feelings that I was having for, for women and I, I just kind of stopped naturally going to church. Um, and then once I came out, um, one of the things that really kind of pushed me over the edge and, and made it easy to not go to church anymore and kind of step away from the religion was I went in to talk to my bishop, who's like the the ecclesiastical leader over a, a congregation, mm-hmm. kind of like a pastor, okay. um, to get some guidance. Like I'm here's here's all this stuff. How do I navigate this? You know, I don't I don't want to be damned. Yeah. Um, help me. Yeah. And he he basically. Yeah. He basically told me that being gay was like um, an alcohol addiction and um, that I just needed to pour my heart and soul into being an active member and give myself to God and he would make things all right. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. So completely invalidating everything about your existence, your feelings. I mean, everything. He's basically just yeah. like, shove it down as far as you can and be in the church more, which it sounds like you were already in it pretty deep. So I don't know what right. you could have done at that point. <laughs> so great. Awesome. I guess I'll just try to deny everything about myself. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of a turning point for you leaving the the um church then right and and i i it also was empowering for me because i didn't want to have to go through the process of the church kicking me out i felt more like they they're not going to have that control over me so i'll just leave before they can kick me out so that's what i did i just requested my membership records be removed with the help of a, an organization called quit mormon 
they help people get their records removed and that's what I did. I will put the link after we get done. Uh, yeah, I'll put it in the description. So if there's anyone else who's in a similar situation is interested in doing that, we'll definitely provide that resource. So thank you for, for even saying that. So that sounds like a great, great way and probably sped up the process of doing that. So essentially they just delete your church records and they're like, okay, good luck. I mean, right. Okay. So at that point, were you still married? Yes. husband. Okay. And did all your family and friends like at this point, so you told your ex-husband, you guys had that conversation and then you went to the bishop. He was absolutely no help and was the worst, we'll say. And then, um, so from there, you had your membership or membership? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Okay. Yeah, it's called a membership. Hold. And I love that you were like, no, I'm not going to wait for y'all to do it because they've been telling you what to do, how to act, what to wear, how to behave, where to go to church, money to give, all of this stuff your entire life. And now for the first time, you were like taking that shit back. Right. Well, it, it's the... It was about a year after I came out that I removed my my records. And part of why um, I did it that way was because the church has its own like court system. And so if a person does something that kind of violates their standards as far as like morality or um, I'm trying to like denying the religion or questioning the religion like if you're too vocal with um questioning what some of the leaders say you'll get pulled into church court and it's it's a group of men and you have to try to defend yourself but they ultimately get to decide whether or not you get to stay a member of the church some people get put on a probationary period and and sometimes that means you have to continue checking more boxes and meet with your bishop regularly um and and sometimes they're like nope you're out and you have no control over the decision that they make and so if you get excommunicated from the church it's a, it's a really painful process for people especially if they don't want to be excommunicated right. and so i i just was like you're not doing that to me so did it just curious if you leave on your own accord will they if you wanted to go back then they're like they'll allow that versus if you get excommunicated then it's like completely shut case you're no longer welcome ever so if you get excommunicated you you can come back but you have to meet all of the same morality like worthiness um guidelines that they have so you have to be paying your tithing you have to be attending your church meetings you you, you basically have to to prove that you're worthy to be a member again you have to do like Olympic level back bends yes. to prove yourself. That sounds terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Show us, show us how bad you are through all of these things to show us that you're worthy of being, you know, near us again. Ugh. Right. It's, it's extremely judgmental. And unfortunately, a lot of religions are that way. And I know um, Mormonism is one of the ones that gets talked about a lot as far as having really high expectations, really a lot of times unattainable expectations and pressure. But what is the alternative? If you get excommunicated, then you're also, you no longer have the community and the right. sense of belonging of the church, but then all of the people that come with it are no longer allowed to, I, I'm assuming, um, have anything to do with you or associate with you. Yeah, you're, you're shunned. Yeah. 
Well then, so I love that you took your power. You said, give me that. Yes. I'll take that and I'll leave before you guys have a chance to tell me what, uh, you know, what you want to do with me. And so from right. there, like, I'm curious, I guess, how your family and your friends within the Mormon church, how they treated you the differently or if they did once you came out publicly what was that what was that experience like so my my family um has always been pretty dysfunctional so i i really haven't had much of a relationship with them um but when i did come out that seemed to like that was a, a hard line like we you're out you're out yeah um and and my ex-husband's family um, there were, there were quite a few of them that took it hard initially, but, um, they've all been pretty loving and accepting. I still keep in contact with some of them. Um, friends, I, I can only think of a couple of friends that, uh, have stayed with me. Hmm. Others, you know, ascribe to the belief that there's something wrong with me. In fact, I got a, a Facebook message from someone who, um, I considered a, a close friend just condemning me and, um, it, that's super hurtful yeah. to, but, but on the same side, what's been interesting is to take a step back myself and to see how I behaved in the same way when I was in the religion. Mm. Mm. And that, that is like a painful part that I have to acknowledge yeah, because it wasn't too long ago that you were in their seat. Um, gosh, but it is like a feeling of betrayal from friends or family who've turned their back yeah. on you. You're like, so it really makes you question whether or not the love from them was ever genuine because it's really hard to fathom my like the love for my child just disappearing over anything that they could really do. Like I just, I've right. thought through a lot of scenarios and it's, you never know until you're in a situation, but that that's certainly not something I would ever consider excommunicating or just like having no contact with my literal child. I just can't imagine it. So when it happens to you and it happened to you, it had, this happened to me, family just completely shuns you, cuts you off, wants nothing to do with you. You're non-existent. Then you go through the whole process of grieving the, your your DNA family, but also your community, your religious family that you thought had your back and supported you, right. even, you know, or for so many years or for your whole life. Yeah, it's it's hard. And, you know, grief is interesting because it comes in waves. Um, in fact, earlier this week, I had this overwhelming moment of just feeling super sad that you know, I, I'm married now. My wife is, her name is Kelsey. Um, her family is phenomenal. Um, so to, to see the connection that they have, um, I'm sad that I don't have that. I'm sad that my family isn't in a place where they can hold space for people of different beliefs. That's a, it's a shitty, shitty feeling. <laughs> Super shitty. Super, super effing shitty. Yeah. And I, I'm glad. Hi, Kelsey. I know she's not there, but like, hi, Kelsey. Um, And I'm glad she has an awesome family. But I also know what, like, it's still 
it's like this little knife stab. It's like this little twinge yeah. sometimes where it's like, why can't my family just love me? Like, what's so right. hard about that? You know, why can't yeah. I all just be, we don't even have to agree, but why do you have to treat me so bad and be so hateful and so condemning towards something that we disagree on? Even if you think I'm going to end up in hell forever, why would you, why would, you know. Yeah, I don't get it. Me, I don't, like, I, I, I literally cannot understand it. I can't either. Yeah. Because you just feel so un, unlovable and you think, like, your parents are supposed to love you. Right. Like, I, I think we're all born knowing that and being taught that. And then when they just flip the switch, even if they're dysfunctional, mine too. Right. It still hurts. Yeah, it still hurts. It does. It hurts. Yeah. And it's just like this gaping wound that I don't know if it ever, like, does. It doesn't ever go away. I don't think it does. No. I think. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can fill that hole. Like, as loving as as Kelsey's family is, and, and I am super grateful for them, they still, they're still not my parents. You know, they're not my siblings. Um, that hole still exists. Yeah. And like you said, it, it probably, it doesn't ever go away. And then it loves to do this fun little thing where it pops up when you least expect it. The most inopportune times I'm going to have a full-blown meltdown and cry right. my eyes out. <laughs> and <clears throat> for what? And I'm like, it's so how many years? You said you came out when you were 38. You don't look over 38 now. So I don't know if this happened like <laughs> last year or when this went down. But so... um. Yeah, how many years has it been since you left? Um, let's see. It's been uh, a little over six years. I'm gonna ask her a really dumb question. Has it gotten easier? <laughs> yes and no. So it's super interesting to um you know, one of the beliefs is that if if you leave Mormonism, you can never find happiness. You're just going to be miserable and you're just like the devil's got a hold of your heart. You know, you, you're never going to find happiness outside of the church. And so there was a little bit of fear as I was leaving of like, oh shit, uh, am I going to be happy? Yeah. But I, I can honestly say I am. I, I, it's it's healing as you know there's a lot of untangling and um bullshit to to work through but i can honestly say i'm i'm happier than i've ever been not to say i don't have bad days sure. I, I still have bad days and and you know relationships are are tricky and learning to navigate that when you've got a bunch of fucking bullshit to unpack is sometimes a rough road but it's also interesting to have church stuff pop into my head every now and then. Does that ever happen to you? Like, I hate it. We, I know. Tell me. Tell like, me what it is. You'll, we'll be sitting down to, to eat dinner and the thought will pop into my head like, oh, we should pray. Like, what the fuck? Right. I haven't prayed <laughs> in years. Why is that popping into my head? You know what they would say. You're being convicted, like you're being uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's what I would be told. You're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. You need to come back to the church. That's what that is. But it's not just FYI. It's not. It's not that. 
it's not it's called brainwashing and it's right. really freaking hard to undo brainwashing <laughs> yes damn near impossible yeah for me so i left maybe like close to 15 <clears throat> excuse me 15 years ago wow when my son was <clears throat> my son was a baby and so i've been out of it but I do. I didn't start necessarily like really deconstructing from religion right then. So it hasn't. Been, I wouldn't say it's been like a full fifteen years since I've, you know, come to terms with everything. Um, but still, to this day, there's still massive passages of the Bible I have memorized. Right. Hate that. There's still songs that just like yes, loop. Hate that. Yes. <laughs> um, I've gotten to the point now where when it happens, because my boyfriend was raised church of christ and went to a christian school and it was it's, it was very brainwashy as well um and so i'll just start do i'll just start singing the song out loud or something super annoying <laughs> and so i'm like if i have to suffer you have to suffer <laughs> i love it yeah so i i don't know i it's been 15 years and that shit is still embedded in there unfortunately if anyone has any tips and tricks on how to get rid of that I'm down. I don't know because the the conditioning starts from the time you're a baby. Right. So how like it's, I don't know if you can ever un completely undo all of that. Why are um I have to ask just a religion question or I guess like a doctrine question. So in the fundamentalist like world I grew up, it was the rapture's coming and it's going to take all the Christians. Jesus is going to come back. The clouds are going to open. The angels are going to be there. And all of the dead in Christ will rise from their graves first. And then the living in Christ will rise and all of their clothing will be left behind. And they'll be ascending naked as fuck into the sky, apparently, <laughs> to be with Jesus. And the rest of us sinners are going to be left here on earth to be tortured and damned and eventually end up in the lake of fire. So that's what I have to look forward to. How is there any similarity there with Mormonism as far as that goes? And then the the for me the hardest part to deconstruct and that gave me anxiety for years was like was the fear of the rapture. Mm -hmm. Even now, sometimes if I walk into a room and I expect someone to be in it, and they were in it a minute ago, and no one's in the room and it's quiet, I have like a a moment in the, a moment of panic. I'm like. Did the rapture happen? <laughs> so, yeah. So do y'all have a, does does the Latter-day Saints, do they have a version of the rapture or is it the same or what? It, it's pretty similar um, in that they, they believe that Christ will come again. They call it the second coming. And when he comes again, similar, like the, the dead who believed in him will rise and their bodies will be perfected. And those who are living, who believe in him will also go to heaven and then the rest of us sinners will experience like torture and right. and burn as um will burn basically and um and then christ will come for it gets a little muddy because it's been a while since i've uh actually like studied or um experienced the beliefs but there's also belief that christ will come and reign for a thousand years called the millennium and it will be like the most glorious awesome time that you could ever envision and then the whole earth will be burned and like made new again and that's where all of the people who believe in christ will live so he comes and takes everybody that he has deemed worthy but not mm -hmm. if you got married outside of the temple <laughs> and yes. then 
then he burns the whole earth to a crisp and then and then makes it new and then brings them back from heaven puts them back on earth yeah because the earth will be will then be a heaven uh okay so the the mormons also believe in like they call it the three degrees of glory so there's the celestial which is where god and jesus live and if you get married in the temple and you do all the things that you're supposed to that's where you'll live with your family and then there's two other i forget the order but telestial and terrestrial and the the bottom one is where like you live if you don't believe in the mormon church and and then the middle kingdom is is where you'll go if you're like not quite good enough for the celestial mormons right right (laughs) and they believe too that if you live in the celestial kingdom you can come down and visit all the heathens but you can't go up and visit anybody i mean isn't that a sales tactic where they say like setting prices you can always come down but you can't go up I see what they It's do. a pyramid scheme. Like it's it a, it's an MLM. On to you, Mormon church. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, you will be judged, not just by God, but by the rest of us that are in the celestial. Right. I love that. <laughs> I don't love it, but it's, it's entertaining. Like from the yeah. outside looking in. But it's interesting because like you said a minute ago, at one point it was the opposite. Like you were in the seat of fully believing that and judging everyone on the outside of that. So it's, and so was I. So it's so, it's so weird now sometimes when it's reverse and I'm like, right. How could I have, how did I believe in it? that? I know it's insane. That's, that's not even logical. It's right on any level. And it's almost comical to me now sometimes, um, the, just the ridiculous links that re- different religious groups go to, um, to make their narrative fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep people in the church. I don't know. And and so much of it's based in fear of right. a lot of things, but especially the afterlife. Um, so yeah, I got off topic there, but <laughs> it's very interesting. Okay. Um, so we were talking about, I think you leaving. I left. Yeah. Um, let's see. I left. I met a woman that I'm now married to. Um, she has a similar background. She grew up Mormon as well, got married, had two kids. Um, so I, I think one of the things that's been interesting for me to navigate is I thought I was the only one coming out as an adult, especially an ex-Mormon. Yeah. Um, but as I've left, um, I, I'm not the only one and it's been helpful to find other people like me. So I'm glad you brought that up. What have you found any resources or support or groups or apps or anything that that has kind of just wrapped you in like a hug of support and made you feel less alone in the past? I think you said six ish years. Um, did you meet your wife through something like that or what did, was it just happenstance that she was also ex-Mormon? Um. So I met my wife because the gym instructor that I had a crush on, um, my wife was also working at the same gym and so they knew each other. And so, um, she introduced us and, um, my wife had was a little further along in her journey of, um, like leaving the church. And so she initially just was a, a great resource to talk things through with like, Hey, 
you know, one, one of the things that Mormons do when they go through the temple is they then get holy underwear that you have to wear and it's, it goes down to your knees. It's a whole nother thing. What? When I think holy underwear, I think well-worn that it had no, holes in like, it. But we're talking like, less by God. Yes. Yes. This is interesting. Please continue. So you you get these special, they're called garments. Um, they go down to the knee and then they are like cap sleeves. So Mormon women who have been through the temple and wear garments don't wear tank tops. They don't wear shorts that are like above the knee. Um, and so when I was considering like, I, I don't, I don't want to wear these anymore, but the, the, like, it's scary to, sh to yeah, shift yeah, yeah. your beliefs, you know? And, and so I'm texting Kelsey, like, I'm not going to wear my garments today. Am I like, am I going to, am I going to get in a horrible car crash and die? Yeah. Cause that's the other thing Mormons believe is that your garments protect you from like bad things happening. And so she was just a great resource to like, Please just reassure me that I'm not going to die, that I'm yeah. not going to get struck by lightning, that right. I'm not going to catch on fire. Um, and as that relationship started to develop, um, you know, the the there's a, a saying that lesbians bring the U-Haul on the second date. I was just telling Dustin <laughs> about that the other day. I was like, how do you not know that's a thing? I was like, it's a universally <laughs> no joke. So yeah, we, we, we like fell into that stereotype. Um, yeah, I, I moved in with her. <laughs> I moved in with her. Um, I wasn't divorced yet, which brought its own set of complexities, but, um, it's, it's been amazing, hard and beautiful and amazing. And yeah. And, uh, you know, lots of learning. And it's that way with any relationship, like you said, whether it's a religious or secular relationship, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, same gender or not, like, it doesn't matter. Their relationships are freaking hard anyway. And then, like you said, when you bring all of this extra, I don't like to call it baggage, um, but you have all of these other factors in there, like the, the religion, yeah all the families you have shared children but then all of those beliefs all of the things always in the back of your mind your fears the trauma that just resurfaces over and over and the more you like start working through that trauma the more you realize is actually there right so it just is like it's like you open up what were they called like the russian nest like it can't worse yeah. yeah it's like you think you're you think you're done okay let me i'm done with this one. Oh, surprise bitch there's like another right. one in there that you have to deal with right now right so, yeah it's never ending right and all that to say um kelsey was involved with a, a group um called affirmation which was a, a mormon support group ish for people that struggled with same-sex attraction mm. and um so i they have an annual meeting. It was in Salt, Salt Lake City. Um, and so that's where I met other people that were like me, like women in their 30s, women in their 40s, who, men and women, who had been married um, in heterosexual relationships and it wasn't working, part of the Mormon faith. And so it was really just kind of eye-opening to see people in various stages of their journey um, whether they were completely out of the church or, or still trying to keep like one foot in one foot out, 
but other people like me. And so that was a great resource. Um, I know they have a Facebook page. They still have their- It's called Affirmation? Affirmation. Now, is it associated with the Mormon church or it's a, it's separate from that? It is just inclusive of people who maybe are still in it or completely out? Right. So it's not endorsed by the church. It's not, it doesn't necessarily yeah. have support okay. of the church, but it's a support group for people. But that they're, are still... they're not trying to convince you to correct gay away. Okay. Correct. Okay. Good, 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 good. And so that was kind of the main place for you to meet other like-minded people or people who had similar s situations and circumstances. Right. That's awesome. Are there any other things like that out there for ex-Mormons, ex-Mos, Ethicon? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's there's other resources, but I got to a point where I just wanted to completely remove myself because it was so triggering to be reminded of Mormon stuff. And so it's been a couple of years since I have like even looked or participated in any other like ex-Mormon stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. I've I experienced what I know what you're talking about because it's like you kind of go through phases in your healing where what you need is support and understanding and a community around you and people who you can like vent to who get it or there's all these little nuances that no one else outside of that religious group understands. And then at some point it's like, I'm freaking exhausted by this. I don't want to hear anything referencing this world I want to shut the door on that I want to like completely separate myself and not have it infiltrate anymore because it's like it it kind of just feels like this constant weight I think uh -huh. um so how how has life changed for you I guess since since not associating with I guess even though it sounds like a great group but it was the right decision for you to kind of just step away from that how's life mm -hmm. been since then it's been good. You know, I, I keep uncovering things that need to be healed um, and kind of unpacking that religious trauma. Um, I I just finished, as you know, a, a post-master's certificate. So school has kept me busy and um, thank you. I have, I have four kids. Um, my wife has two kids. Three of them live with us. Um, my wife's two children are still involved in the church. And so navigating like mm. that complexity is teaching me uh, more about unconditional love and how to hold space for people whose beliefs are different than mine. Right. Which is tricky. It is. Because. The church hurt me. Yes. Yes. And it's very triggering. And it's like. I don't agree with you because what you believe is harmful to people like me. Right. And I don't believe what you believe because it harms other people too. So I, it's to me, it's, I'm a very black and white thinker. I'm going to blame like the, the, you know, being neurodivergent. I like to blame it on that, <laughs> but um, it's, it's like, I, I think very black and white, like I would never treat you this way. So the fact that you're treating me that way means how can you possibly love me? Like, how am I supposed to support you hating my existence, you know, or hating the way that I choose to exist or the way that I was bored to exist, whatever it is. I just can't understand that. 
because I, I can love them unconditionally, I think, unless they're doing things like that towards other people. Then I'm like, screw you. Yeah. So it's over there. <laughs> I don't want to be around that. It, right. It's definitely an interesting uh, journey space to be in. Gosh. So um, you brought up your kids and I was thinking about that. You mentioned that your wife's, Kelsey's children are still involved in the Mormon church. Are your children, your biological children, are they still involved? Uh, I, I'm curious if your ex-husband is and if there's, you know, any crossover there, if they still are involved uh, to any degree or not. So my ex-husband is, um, my my four children, I know for sure my two older ones um, are, are not. My middle child, he doesn't go to church, but he's, he's kind of in this space where he's not sure what his beliefs are. Um, and then my youngest, it, it, she, she's hard for me to figure out. I can't figure out if she's not in the church because of how it makes me feel or if she's not in the church because she doesn't necessarily have, like how it makes her feel. She's offered the opportunity to explore, um, but she chooses not to. So all that to say, most like my four children don't go to church on a regular basis. Right. But no, it it sounds like not because you have told them not to. It's you've given Correct. them a choice and they have right. chosen not to. Whereas you aren't given a choice as a child. Right. And I think that's awesome. I I do the same thing with my child. I'm like, if you if you want to go to church, I I don't forbid him from christianity or you know learning about religions i think it's better for our children or for people in general to be able to make a decision from an informed place rather than a required place like right. I, my parents believed this so it must be true mm -hmm. and i i have to follow the same you know belief system so i think what you're doing is awesome for your kids letting them choose yeah. and them knowing you're going to love them no matter what they choose mm -hmm. that's that's awesome um let me while we're here real quick. There's something I was going to ask you, and I made a note of it a minute ago. Um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to ask, like, I guess, um, for the for other people getting out of the Mormon Church, and it's so terrifying to get out of religion and to leave everything, like we, we were talking about a minute ago. What what are some first steps? that you were able to take or that you would recommend other people to take if they're also trying to get out of it. Um, because it's like, it's so overwhelming. You don't even know where to start because you don't have mm -hmm. a support system really, or people mm -hmm. you can trust to not rat you, rat you out. Um, so like, where do you even start with something like that? That is a really good question. Um, I think, I think just allowing yourself space to have questions um, is really important because, you know, most religions teach that if you if you have questions that are contradictory to the religion, that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Critical thinking is super important, even in everyday life. You you have to allow yourself to to ask questions and evaluate and make informed decisions, like you said. But I think to finding someone who has been where you're at um, can be a valuable resource. So just search, you know, like I said, Facebook has, I'm sure, hundreds of ex-Mormon groups where you can just get to, get to support. Um, 
And I think a lot of them are, you can, they're like private groups. Mm -hmm. So you can post, yeah, you can request to join and then post without fear of someone finding out. Right. Um, yeah, they're like closed groups. So if you post a, right. anything, then no one else uh, it, on your page is going to be able to see it. Only the people that are members of that page, of that group. Right. Anyway, that's awesome for your safety. Um. Yeah. And then, you know, I I have always been a, a big reader. And so I started reading books, um, books about people in, with other religions. So one book that was really kind of impactful was, um, I think it's called the book of separation and it's about an Orthodox Jew and her process of leaving her religion. And it just helped normalize some of the feelings that I was experiencing and helped me feel, uh, less alone. And it's that normalizing of what your experience is that helps take away some of the shame and some of the, some of the fear. That's one quote I always say is almost exactly what you said. Shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Yeah. So being able so, to just, yeah, voice your fears and your shame that you think are ridiculous and then have someone be like, oh, no, no, I like, I totally feel that or I felt that before. <laughs> or, yeah. So it's just like, oh, wait, really? Okay. It's liberating. Yeah. What is the best thing, like the best part of the freedom you've found since living as your authentic self living as the person you were born to be without the expectation and the weight and the pressure of religion behind it what are some like the best thing that you found and it doesn't have to be like a physical thing I'm just curious what do you think has been the the best the most fun the most just enlightening thing that you've experienced or learned since leaving I have to pick one. Well, Ugh. you can pick like seven. I'll cap it at like okay. seven. <laughs> all right. All right. So I think like the first thing that comes to the top of my head is just being able to experience um, an intimate, loving relationship the way that it should have always been. Um, like when I, when I first... I don't know how much detail to go in here. I don't know like what the, so the first time, the <laughs> first time, <laughs> all the, the nitty gritty. Yes, the, the first juice. Time, the first time I was with my wife, it felt like the most like natural, normal thing in the entire world. Whereas the relationship that I had had with my then husband always felt awkward or uncomfortable. Um, like, we never showered together. We never saw each other naked, um, those kinds of things. And then switching that to the relationship that I have with my wife, just being with someone in that way and not feeling awkward about it is the best thing because I never experienced, like I never, I never knew that that's what love um, and having an intimate relationship could be like. So like comfortability and safety. Yes. Yes. Like, is that this is this is what it's supposed to have been all along? Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Um, but also little things like not having to um 
like having more money because I'm not giving money to the church. I can use that for other resources. I can donate to other charities that I feel passionate about. I can take myself on a trip. Like it doesn't matter. I, I having that, that extra financial freedom has been a huge, like piece of joy, you know, excitement and, um, and you deserve that. It should be. Yeah. It should be that way. Um, Second Saturday, not having to spend all day at church. That's what we call it here. The yeah, second Saturday. I love it. I love it. I, I, I've i said that before. Sometimes on Sundays, we'll, you know, if we're out and about, and we drive by a church. I'm like, you know what I love about Sundays is not having to go to church. It has been a game changer. <laughs> yeah. And just just the freedom to explore lots of different ways to have spirituality or not have spirituality, mm. you know, just finding peace in meditation, um, finding peace in nature, um, finding peace, just spending time together with like a group of friends or with my family, just those little things, um, that I didn't really get to experience in the church. And it sounds like a, several of those that you mentioned are directly about connecting back to yourself. And I've spoken on that a little bit before, but that was one of the main things I noticed after leaving religion is I had no connection to self. I didn't know who I was, what I liked, what I didn't like, what I believed, what I didn't believe. I did not know what intuition felt like in my body mm -hmm. or in my brain. And I always felt like people were lying to me or trying to trick me or manipulate me because that's what religion had done. So it was very empowering to be able to mm -hmm. do those things like meditation or nature. Those have been two really big ones for me as well mm -hmm. to help me connect back to myself and to be able to trust myself again because... Like we said earlier, with that, with leaving comes so much shame and so much blame on yourself. Like, how can I be so stupid or just so easily manipulated or naive or like there's so, you put so much on you, even though we were children when we were in. Right. It wasn't our choice. We didn't right. as adults decide to join a cult. Right. And so but there's still an enormous amount of shame and responsibility that we carry for that. And so finding ways that you can tune back into yourself and be like, no, I am trustworthy. I trust myself mm -hmm. and therefore I'm, I can also trust myself to make the right decisions when it comes to other people or situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one thing that like the church, um, you, you place your authority outside of yourself. And so that's been fun to explore and kind of reclaim is like, no, I get to be my own authority you don't get to decide for me. You don't get to think for me. You don't get to tell me what to do that, 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 you know, I'm, I'm my own authority. I'm the boss of me. <laughs> yeah. What other practices do you do that, that have helped with that? Or I know you, you mentioned quite a few like meditation, nature, friends and family, things like that. Are there other things or spiritual practices that you have now, um, and I don't want to say fill a void because I feel like with religion, it's, it's very fear-based and it's having one end or like one God or mm -hmm. someone that you are trying to please at all times. Whereas a lot of spiritual practices are about connecting back to self. 
And that to me is a huge difference because we're not idolizing anybody. We're trusting ourselves and and going back to who we are at our core. So mm-hmm. I love spiritual practices. I have, you know, many of my own as well, but I'm I would love to know what what you found since you've left that maybe spiritual practice wise. Um, the meditation is a huge, um, piece that's something that, that I practice every day just to help stay connected to myself, um, and, and find that, like, that voice, you know, mm-hmm. figure out what it, what it is I want, what it, what is it that I need? Where do I want to go from here? Um, but also dabbled in like tarot cards. Those have been fun to just explore and, play with um hey i got I we've done right here i don't yeah i can't see them but i have yeah <laughs> <laughs> um astrology has been fun to explore I, I i have a hard time placing belief in any one thing um and so i i i dabble in you know spells and witchcraft type stuff has been fun to explore and it's it's just like having the permission to do that. That's it. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, yeah, just power of self, power of choice, power of autonomy is the biggest, Mm -hmm. biggest thing. And I, you know, I, I, I'm the same way in that it's very difficult. I don't, I would never say like, I'm Wiccan or I'm this or that. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. I, 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 don't feel like I can ever fully identify with any one practice or set of braves. It's like that critical thinking has like, it forbids me from being able to now. And I don't know if it's coming from a place of fear of being like roped back in inadvertently Mm -hmm. to some sort of belief system and, and being manipulated into, I don't know, but I like to dabble. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. fun. It is fun. And it's a, a little, uh, it's like creative. You get to be really creative. And um, I love that. I love that. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about your experience? Like you can say anything about anything. It doesn't have to be about the Mormon church. It doesn't have to be about LGBTQ plus community. It can be anything. Um, no, I'm just super grateful that there's people like you that are bringing light to things like this. I think it would have made my journey a lot easier if I had found, um, you know, someone like you earlier on. And so I I think even six years ago, people were still, it wasn't talked about as much. It seems like, and maybe it's because I'm actively looking for different things, but um, I'm just I'm just really grateful that there are people like you. There's multiple people that I follow, you know, ex-Mormon, different religions, whatever it is that are speaking out about like, no, the system's yep. fucked up and it needs yep. to change. And it's not just a religious system. It's our cultural societal systems that were, were born out of religion that are fucked up and need to change. All steeped in the patriarchy and yeah. Um, it's extremely harmful to all of us. Yeah. It's, extre- it's harmful to men. It's harmful to every person right. in existence. Yeah, it's not just feminists. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe I'll just share a couple of books that like helped too. Um, there's, yeah. one, there's one called Embracing Uncertainty by Susan Jeffers. That really helped me like accept 
the unknown because that was a hard piece leaving the religion. You know, you knew what to expect. You knew what the afterlife was going to be or so you thought. And so being able to accept like the unknown, that was a really useful book for me. Um, there's another one called How to Do the Work by Nicole LaPera. She's a clinical psychologist. She talks a lot about trauma and what it does to the nervous system. That one was also really impactful in teaching me like how to be aware of what my emotions are, how to identify triggers, how to slow my thinking down so that I don't like fly off the handle when I feel triggered. Um, the Andrew Huberman uh, podcast, Huberman Lab, he is, oh my gosh, he just, he dropped an episode earlier this week where he interviews a scientist on emotions. It was mind-blowing. That sounds right up my alley. I'm going to be looking all of these up. When we get to and I'll make sure to link everything for everybody as well. And I love that you're providing books as resources um, because I, I really recommend therapy. I've been in therapy for you. Oh, for sure. For yes, therapy. However, however, I also understand I'm very privileged to be able to right. have access to and to be able to afford therapy and that's not that's not true for everybody it's not accessible and affordable to everybody so this doesn't necessarily take the place of a therapist if you're able to to do so but to be able to like start breaking some of those things down and understanding what's happening from um from clinical from a clinical perspective even is very 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 helpful <laughs> um yeah i love that yeah therapy yeah i find if you can um, a trauma therapist because that was that was life changing for me as well. But there's another book called uh, When Religion Hurts You. Yes, and that yes, yes, great book. Do you remember the author? Um, is it? Laura? I don't. It is Laura. Laura. Yeah, I don't remember okay. her last name. I can't either. But I follow her on Instagram, and because I followed her on Instagram, I actually my therapist now is one of her from her business that she has so all of oh if you go to her website and i'm so sorry i'll have to link that as well and no this is not a sponsored ad i wish my therapy was patient <laughs> um but so all of the i when i was researching their website all of their therapists on there are trauma therapists but specific to religious trauma religion. And i was like yeah i was like finally because i've been searching and i could find no one in my state like literally could find no one in my state to go to. Um, so I found someone through their website um, and that's who I've been using for the past month or two. And it's been great so far. And I'm like, finally, there's therapists who aren't just being like, oh yeah, you have daddy issues. It's, you know, right. What's here's what's happening. I get it. It's fucked up. And here's here's some tools that can help work through that and make you feel more empowered um, when you're dealing with some, you know, some of those things that decide to spontaneously pop up. Right. Fun. Yeah. 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 So I have to link all those um, great recommendations. What else? Anything else? Book-wise? Um, there's another book on uh, complex PTSD. Uh, there's a workbook that- I have really that one. For me as well. Shut up. Yeah, I have that one. Yep. It's like and a it, real wide, like- Yes. Book. Yes. Yep. And then anything on like attachment theory, because understanding like 
anxious avoidant attachment versus like anxious attachment and secure attachment. Um, that was also really helpful for me in healing some of my attachment wounds created by my family. Ooh, that's going to be the new, uh, instead of people being, instead of people asking, what's your astrological sign? They're going to be like, yeah, it's going to be, what's your attachment <laughs> style? What's yours? Uh, anxious avoidant. I just be anxious. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be over here freaking out <laughs> if y'all need me. <laughs> But but my partner's very much uh, or was like more avoidant. So again, like we were saying earlier, every relationship has its challenges. But the right. the difference maker is that both parties are willing to work on their individual shit. Yes. Especially with religion as a big thing in the background, just like hovering all the time. Yeah. Because you're even if you went to the same Baptist church, even if you're both Mormon, you've had different experiences, and you're not right. going to have the exact same trauma. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's fun. <laughs> what is your yeah. astrological sign? Because I'm being nosy. Uh, I'm an Aquarius. I like Aquarius women. I don't like Aquarius men, but Aquarius women. <laughs> We're the funnest. Y'all are fun. We're the most. Y'all are fun. Uh, Aquarius. We're kind of weird. Yeah. No, but y'all are y'all are very loyal. Y'all are like great hype women as well. Um, y'all are great gift givers too, which is not always. Well, not always true for Aquarius men. But yeah, I love Aquarius women. That's great. That's awesome. Thank Are you, you um I guess into January or Feb February? February. Okay. I like them. Thank you. But we've welcomed you into the heathen family then. You're, Yay. you're allowed <laughs> you're here now, so um Yay. And you know, I'd like to say, like, if anybody has um other questions. People are welcome to reach out and happy to try and assist um, those that are exploring the possibility of leading Mormonism. I love that, that you're offering to to be a resource because I think we need that. Not just mm -hmm. saying, oh, like, hey, there's that resource, but like, hey, I'm here. I'm in your corner and I'm willing to help or at least point you in the right direction. I'm not your therapist, but I can at least right. give you some resources potentially that could be helpful. Um, so I can put your um socials or i'm not sure how you yeah how would you prefer that people reach out to you if they would like to um you can you can provide my instagram account um and they can reach out through that perfect i love that i love it that's great that was one of the main things i wanted to focus on or like one of the main outcomes that i wanted to have from publicly sharing my story, but then kind of pivoting into this, which is giving it, using the platform to allow other people to share their stories um, from all religious backgrounds, not necessarily what's identified as a quote unquote cult per se, um, but being able to provide resources is really important for me, giving people a direction to go just to come to their own um, educated opinions and conclusions about things whether or not they decide you, even if they end up staying in religion that's sure. that's their choice do i mean if that's what you feel is right for you do that but at least make an informed decision um and i'll be goddamn if anyone feels as alone 
as we did. Like I want to right. take that uh, that that piece out of the the puzzle or like that piece out of the picture because it's already freaking hard enough to leave right. and to start over alone. Um, but that alone piece, if we can like take that out of the equation, uh, that would make me very happy. So I will definitely link your Instagram for sure. And then lastly, as we wrap up, I always tell people that, you know, I've really leaned into humor and how I come across on social media is how I am in person, just, you know, cussing and raising hell and, you know, making little (laughs) jokey jokes every chance I get. So I use humor a lot to metabolize the, the trauma that I've been through and kind of navigate life on this side of things. Um, What have what have you found that maybe we haven't talked about that has helped you metabolize your own traumatic experiences with religion and otherwise? So finding a trauma therapist and then um, one of the other most impactful things that helped me take a step back and really um, dive deep and dig deep was um, I had, I had a couple of ketamine treatments and ketamine. Can you explain that. So ketamine, ketamine. We could spend hours, but it, it's it's been around for a long time, um, and they have found that ketamine can help with suicidality. It can help with long-standing depression and anxiety, and that was part of why I um, opted to have ketamine in the first place. Was because I had always struggled with suicidal thoughts, even after leaving the church. Um, just long-standing depression, tried multiple medications, all the things. So I had an IV ketamine treatment and it just helped me see uh, like the negative beliefs that I had been told my whole life. The stories that I had told myself, it helped me see those and realize they were not mine. Those were stories that had been given to me and that they weren't true. Um, And so ketamine helps rewire the brain. It encourages neuroplasticity. And, what is um, it exactly? I've I've read it a little bit, but I, I just don't know enough about it to speak on it. It's it's a dissociative anesthetic. It's mainly used in anesthesia for pain control, um, but it works on the NMDA receptors in the brain and glutamate. So it just it helps. Andrew Huberman has a great podcast. If you want to listen to it, it goes into two hours of detail about ketamine and how it works and what it does. But they started noticing that people who got ketamine had relief of depression symptoms. And so um, for me, I I can't say that it's recommended for everyone, but for me, it provided a, a, it was a big step in my healing journey to process a lot of trauma. Mm, That's interesting. And how, how do you go about seeking treatment with that? Is that through your doctor, I assume, or? So um, you, most people can get it through like a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse Mm -hmm. practitioner. Um, There are physicians who are trained in um, administering ketamine. I I would recommend you find a trusted source. You never want to buy street drugs because they're usually laced with something. And guys, don't do that. Please. (laughs) Seriously. No street drugs. Um, We're better. They have found, yeah, studies have shown that ketamine used with therapy is more effective. And so for me, I would have a ketamine treatment and then like a day or two later, go see my therapist. And it really just helped like unpack years of 
trauma. Oh, I love that. Because you're coming at it, you're coming at the issue from multiple angles and different methods to untangle mm-hmm. that web. Then it's because different types of treatment, whether it's talk therapy or, you know, what EMDR or ketamine, like every everything's not going to work for everybody. And so it's right. really great when we can find different ways to approach uh, the solution that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's really not see now I'm going to have to go. You're about to. There's there's me there, like said, there's a rabbit hole. <laughs> you should do some research. And there's definitely, you know, more than one modality to healing. Um, and so you have to find what works for you. Yeah, those are great recommendations, though. Very. I might have to bring you back to talk about ketamine or like just different modalities, because I, I think we don't know what we don't know and we can right. research it, something if we don't know that it exists or what it can be used to help treat. And so I appreciate you bringing like some other, you know, solutions, just putting them on our radar is really helpful. You never know. Yeah. I'm down to try it. So, um, okay. Well, I kind of cut you off a minute ago cause I got really interested in ketamine, but yeah. Is there anything, is there anything that you, that you found to to help metabolize your traumatic experiences besides those things. And I'll try not to go down another uh, another hole. <laughs> um, journaling has been useful. Talking to other people, being able to share my story. Um, those are all really good ways to help like process and um, get it out. I think, like you said, shame dies when we tell our story and finding safe places to share your story can be super healing. I think one of the the other things that like was really helpful for me was when, cause you know, when, whenever you're in a, an abusive relationship or situation or, or even with religion, a lot of times, um, you feel like you're blowing things out of proportion when you tell someone. Mm-hmm. But finding people who validate like that was fucked up and super shitty, it helps you feel less crazy. Yeah. So find find safe people to share that with. Ooh, that is true because the gaslighting is just premier. They know how to gaslight. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, yeah. Just having someone validate that, be like, no, that was that's not cool. That's not normal. That's not healthy. You're not the crazy one here. Right. Makes it make a big difference. If Mikkel's story resonated with you and you're looking for help, I have a couple options that may provide some support and resources for you. I've included all of her recommendations in the description, but also go ahead and subscribe for more content like this and more conversations like I had with Mikkel that can provide you with support and just kind of give you a sense of you're not alone because you're not. If you want to share your story, not in interview form, you can always book with me one-on-one and we can discuss what you're going through and maybe help you feel more supported and loved because you are. If you are experiencing anxiety, depression, or even feeling similar to Mikkel's as she described in this interview, I've included some resources in the description to give you some support that you can use to help you on your own personal and unique journey.